0: You're listening to the Core Life Training, what is it? Core Life Training Podcast, of course it is, with Jeff Olson. Greetings my friends, it's Jeff with the Core Life Training Podcast where we dig into the Bible, get down with some killer tins, and cool out with a tasty, tasty drink of choice. Welcome to episode number 16. So before we get down to business on this episode, let me just give you a quick personal update. The last couple of weeks have been pretty sweet. Uh, two weeks ago or so, we were in Reno for a church planting conference uh, with about 850 other people. And uh, it was my best friend, Lenny Martin and I and our wives. And man, it was just such a great time to be with people that are doing what you do and are all about what you do and are encouraging what you do. Uh, it was just a killer time. We were super encouraged about what we're doing with G Town Church here in Gresham and uh, stoked us up for 2020 and what's coming coming next in the life of our little church. So that was awesome. And then a couple Sunday nights ago, we had a three hour class on the book of Isaiah at the Hoppy Brewer here in downtown Gresham, where I live. And uh, we had about 20 or 22 people come out, and we spent three hours having some drinks and opening the word, just digging into the book of Isaiah how it fit into the context of the story of the Old Testament, and then really working through the primary or the main theme of the book of Isaiah, the king who comes in the last day. And I got to just say, man, I had a blast teaching the class. The feedback's been great. Um, The environment was awesome. hanging at the Hoppy Brewer to do that class. So we're super stoked and looking forward to doing another another one, probably coming up this next February. Uh, So if you want information on that as we get that information out, and you're not already on our email list, you can go to corelifetraining.org and join the email list, and you can be updated on everything that we're doing. Uh, You can also keep an eye on the Core Life Training Facebook and Instagram pages as well. So that was awesome. Super pumped that we did that class. Uh, So great last couple weeks for me. And uh, now let's get down to this episode, right? We've been talking about loving God with all our heart. It's the great commandment Uh, Loving God passionately is one of the core things God wants most from our lives. And the truth is, there's really only one thing that we need, or there's one main thing that we need so that we can love God more passionately. And here's your spoiler for the episode. What we really need is a clearer vision of God and of His glory. Uh, Another way to put that is that we need to know God more deeply in His Word. And in the first half of this episode, I'm going to show you a biblical theology of our need to see God more clearly. Like biblically, is that true and where is that and, and why is it that we need to see God more clearly? And then in the second half of the episode, I wanna give you six things that you can do to get a clearer vision of God so that ultimately you can love him more passionately. So what you're gonna get in this episode is deeply theological on the one hand and radically practical on the other. So what you're going to hear is live audio that was recorded at a Core 2 class that I taught in Sisters, Oregon at Vast Church in 2017. Uh, as always, these episodes have been just a little bit longer than the normal episodes because what we're going through here is just, I think, too good to like leave any of it out, so I don't want to edit it down. But I promise that it'll be worth your while. It's worth your time. So grab your Bible, grab a notebook and your drink of choice, and let's get down to business. All right, so let's, let's move on now to, uh, we're gonna move on past some of the barriers that keep us from loving God. And let's kind of get down to some nitty gritties here. What, what in the world should I do to deepen my heart for God? We, we were talking uh, just at break, like it's one thing to kind of be in the Christian life and along for Jesus ride, but there is a way to actually pursue knowing and loving God more, right? Like we actually can dig in here And not that it's not a miracle of God, it is. The fact that I even want to is a miracle of God. God has to give me a heart for that. Uh, But there are some things that we can do to participate along with the Lord here in terms of developing a heart of love for God, right? So God has to give me a heart of love for Him, but there are some things uh, I can do along the way. So if it's true that God wants my whole heart, He's worthy of my deepest, highest, widest, most profound love, and that my heart must be strong, how in the world do I develop a heart a strong heart for God. Uh, as, I, as I showed you guys, uh, the design here of God for our heart is that He would show us and give us an experience of His great love and that we would, our hearts would be filled with His love and that our hearts would be filled with love back to Him as a response, right? And then ultimately, we would live our whole life for the sake of His glory out of a heart filled with love, right? So that's God's design I'm meant to see God and enjoy God and experience God and then uh, love Him back. But we, we run into a problem, the problem of blindness. Blindness to the glory of God. Blindness to the love of God. Blindness to the greatness and, and beauty of God. So Genesis 3, our heart turned away from the love and glory and beauty of God. It said, no, thank you. Romans 1 says, we exchange the beauty and glory of God for an image, I, I don't want to reflect on God's greatness and glory. I want to essentially reflect on my greatness and glory, and I want to bow down to that. And that idol worship, that self-idol worship, ultimately leaves us blind to the beauty and the glory of God. Psalm 135, verse 15 to 18, says, the psalmist says, The idols of the nations are but silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. Now, just pay attention to the details. They have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, but they don't see. What does that mean? They're blind. (coughs) They have ears, but they don't hear, nor is there any breath in all their mouths. Verse 18, those who make them, what does your text say? Will be like them. If you make an idol, you will ultimately become like your idol, blind, deaf, and mute. Those who make them will be like them. Yes, everyone who trusts in them. Romans 1, we read this 21 to 25. Their, their foolish hearts were darkened and their minds became futile. They traded away the glory of God and then their heart couldn't reflect on God's glory and their, their mind couldn't get around God's glory anymore. Their mind was futile and their heart was darkened. There's a, there's a blindness to the beauty and glory of God among idol worshipers. So I can't, I can't like experience and see the greatness and glory and love of God so that my heart then is filled with love back to Him because of my blindness. And my blindness is because of my idol worship. And so the result is like Psalm 19, verse one, the heavens are declaring the glory of God, right? Day by day, they pour forth speech. There, there is no language in which the glory of God is not translated by what you see in creation. And just the sunset last night uh, that we saw just out the back was just an incredible example. It doesn't matter what language you speak in the world, there is a sense of the greatness and and glory of God in, in the sunset that we saw last night. But people are blind to it. People look at that sunset and what do they say? Boy, it's amazing how the atmospheric conditions and the dirt in the air and the angle of the sun creates that image. And it's amazing how the earth evolved and they see the same thing and they don't see the glory of God in it. Why? Because they're blind like the idol they worship. Psalm 33, verse five, the earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. Now, I mean, look, you look at the news and sometimes that's hard to believe, but the scriptures say the earth is full of the loving kindness of God, of evidences of God's grace and mercy and love and not everybody's loving God back. How come? Because they're blind to it and their hearts are turned away from it and there's nothing that they can do about it, right? Again, it's just like we said in, in the last session, I, I'm, I'm hopeless, I'm stuck. I'm stuck in my b- blindness, just like I'm stuck in my self-love. Unless what? Unless God does a miracle for me. Unless God gives me a heart of love for God, and unless God opens the eyes of my heart to see his glory. God has to open the eyes of my heart to see. I, I, I can look at that sunset, for a million years and never see the glory of God unless God opens my, the eyes of my heart to it. So uh, let's look at a couple passages. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses three to six. Even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. <laughs> they can't see it. They can't see the beauty of the gospel. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan has blinded the eyes of people. Right? They are blind like their idols, so they cannot see the glory of Jesus in the gospel. Paul says, we don't preach ourselves, but we preach Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. How do I get the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ? How do I get that? God shines it in my heart. "My foolish heart was darkened," Romans," one says, "And God shines it in there." "Man, what a miracle. What a gift. Uh, how about Acts chapter 26, verses 12, uh, 12 to 18? This is Paul is uh, reflecting on his conversion. The road to Damascus. While so engaged, I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining all around and those who are journeying with me. This is uh, Acts 26, verse 12. Right now, I'm on verse 14. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. What a, what a a great line. It sure sucks banging your head against a brick wall, doesn't it? Why do you keep doing that? And I said, this is verse 15, 26, 15. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appointed you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things that you've seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the, from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. In other words, the Lord says you're going to be in trouble with the Jews and the Gentiles and I'm going to rescue you a bunch of times and you're going to be a witness about that. In order, verse 18, what's the purpose of God rescuing Saul uh, and appointing him as a minister? To open their eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God that they might receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Paul is going, God appoints Paul to preach the gospel so that the eyes of blind people would be open to the glory of God. How are people's eyes open to the glory of God? Through the gospel, through the miracle of the the message of the gospel. God shines the, the glory of God in the face of Christ into our hearts by the gospel. So God has got to open, the solution here is that God has got to open the eyes of my heart so that I can see his greatness, his beauty, his glory, and his love, And then my heart can be filled with love back for him, right? And God has opened the eyes of our hearts. That's part of the process of conversion. I saw the glory of me, and then I didn't. And then all of a sudden I saw the glory of God, and it was amazing. Like, that's my testimony. And it's not a disinterested seeing that God is interested in for us. Do you know what a disinterested seeing is? Oh, that's a tree. That's a cat. That's a couch. It's your mind. Disinterested. It means I notice it, but my heart's not engaged. Oh, yeah, that's the glory of God. Take note, right? It's not a disinterested seeing. God is not glorified in a disinterested seeing. Any more than, you know, uh, if you're a husband, your wife is glorified in your disinterested seeing. Oh, yeah, there she is. She's not honored by that. She's honored when you see her in her beauty, in her character, in her nature, And her love for you for God's sake, and you are interested in her. She's honored by that. When your heart gets taken up with her, then she's glorified. And it's no different with God. So it's not a disinterested seeing, it's that in seeing, we would be amazed. We'd be blown away. That in seeing who God is and what God has done and getting to know Him more deeply, our heart would be blown away and and amazed and taken up with Him and moved in powerful ways, right? We talked about our heart has to be strong and that we would rejoice in the Lord and that we would fall in love with God, that God would not just give us a view of His glory, but at the same time, fill our hearts with passionate love for Him. And the Bible says that's what God does. He opens the eyes of our hearts so that we can see the greatness and beauty and glory of God. He gives us the opportunity then to respond back to Him. So does God, does that solve our problem, is your heart filled with love all the time for the Lord? No. Problem solved? No. Yes. Has God opened your eyes to the glory of Christ in the gospel? Yes. Problem solved? No. Because I don't see God perfectly right now. I don't have a perfect vision of who God is. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says right now we see in a mirror dimly or in a glass, darkly. All the translations are kind of weird here. But the sense of it is clear that we don't have a crystal clear vision of who God is in this lifetime. Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 13 is we don't see face to face. One day we will, and there'll be no mistaking. It won't just be, oh, nice sunset. It will be the very glory of God face to face. Right now, Paul says we know in part, right? And then we will know fully, just as we are fully known. So what I need is I need a clearer vision of God. Like right now, I need a clearer vision of who God is and what God does. And I need a fuller knowledge of him. I need to know him more deeply. I need to know what he's like and his nature and his character. I need to know his ways more fully and more deeply if I'm ever gonna be amazed by it. I can't be amazed if I don't know him, right? I can't be blown away if I don't see him. So, I need a a clearer vision, a fuller knowledge. And this is exactly the kind of thing that Paul prays for. Like, look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1 uh, 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, it's all good, right? I've heard the story about you. You trust God and love people. I don't cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Namely, what are my prayers? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Oh man, I pray that God would give you a spirit of knowing him more. He would reveal himself more clearly to you that you would know him more deeply. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of of the strength of his might. What is Paul's prayer? I pray you trust God and you love people and I pray you come to know God more deeply. I pray God opens your eyes even further and gives you a clearer picture and empowers you by the Holy Spirit to grasp that picture and respond to it correctly. Right, to not misinterpret it as, oh, well, look at the atmosphere and how it reflects the light, but to see the greatness and glory of God in in that or in the situations uh, in our life in which God reveals himself. So problem solved, yes. Problem solved, no. I, I need a clearer vision, and Paul prays for a clearer vision and a deeper knowledge. So what that means is I'm on a journey, and we're on a journey here, and we're, we're actually in a battle. I should put it in those terms. A journey, and hey, we're going to go on a little hike together, and our dog will... We'll clean up his mess on the way and this will be great. No, it's actually a battle to see the glory of God clearly. I actually need to fight to know him more deeply because it's not in my nature to do that. I need to fight to see his glory more clearly because it's not in my nature. My nature, my habit now, is to continue to see my glory. I'm on a fight to have my heart stirred up by the greatness and glory of God in love. And I need to use every means possible in that battle. So and so do you, I'm including you in this. We need to use every means possible to see God more clearly and know Him more deeply so that our hearts will be stirred more fully. Now, what are the means we can use? I'm going to give them to you, and they're going to sound very familiar, and you're going to go, wait a minute. Wait a minute, right? And I'll have an answer for you. I already know how it's going to go. Number one, read your Bible. <laughs> Open your Bible and read it. Learn to study it. Take Bible study methods and learn how not to just read it for a devotional zinger or, you know, that special devotional feel. I'm just going to read until I feel something. That's nice. Learn to actually understand the author's intended meanings. Learn how to interpret it correctly because God has revealed himself in Scripture to us. I remember being in Lithuania one time on a, a short-term mission trip with a group of college students, and, and we, were, we were just talking through the, kind of this idea. And I said, you know... I, I really need to be married to this book. I mean, if this is what it's about, if loving God is the great commandment and my way to loving God is knowing him more deeply in his word, I really need to be married to this book, man. I I really can't take this book lightly. I can't pass. I, I, I gotta be in this book and reading it and studying it and thinking on it, writing things down about it. Open up a Bible and read it. Listen to good sermons. Go to church. And listen to good sermons that stir your heart. I believe what Jonathan Edwards believes about preaching, that it's my job as a preacher to use every biblical means to move your heart powerfully. It's not just to convey some information to you. Okay, I mean, you've all heard sermons where the guy gives you 30 or 35 or 40 minutes worth of information and bored the heck out of you. Right, and you didn't leave more in love with God. You didn't leave more stoked. You didn't leave more fired up. You didn't leave more convicted. You went, huh, well, I guess it was biblical. That's not the goal of preaching. The goal of preaching is to move you. So listen to sermons that move you. I, I know Ryan. I know how he preaches. Listen to Ryan. I, you know, like Ryan puts guys in the pulpit and Ryan is training guys in the pulpit to move you not just emotionally with their fancy tactics but with scripture. I hope that I've spent the weekend here with you not moving you with poems and life stories and stories about my dog that died and Pulling your heartstrings. I hope I've just read scripture to you and I hope you go, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. I hope you're moving. It's scripture that has the power to move us. So listen to sermons that move you. And I know, I know you're in the right spot at Vast Church. I, I, I know there are other churches out there too, but I know you're in the right spot at Vast Church. Listen to sermons that teach the truth and stir your affections too. Use things like communion and baptism to stir your heart. So communion and baptism are both symbols of God's promise. In communion, I have the symbol of the death and resurrection of Jesus in my place for my sins. So in the Bible, God gives me a verbal promise. I promise that because of the death of Jesus, I will forgive your sins. That's a verbal promise. In communion, he gives us the symbolic promise, right? It's like a wedding ring. I made a, a vow to my wife. And I said, I promise my whole life to you for better or worse and all like that. And then a wedding ring, she has a wedding ring on her finger and that is the symbol of my promise. So I, and when I do weddings, I, I tell the guy to repeat after me, as a symbol of my promise, I give you this ring. So every time she looks at that, she sees my promise. Now I've, I've lost two, so I don't get entrusted with another wedding ring because I've already lost two. But that's what, that's what communion is for us. So every time you take communion, you should hear God say, I promise to forgive you. You, you know you're weak. You know what you've been. You know where your heart's been, where your mind's been. You know how you've acted, and what you, right? I promise to forgive you and make you white as snow. And this is the symbol of my promise. And every time you watch a baptism, it's the promise of death to the old self and resurrection in newness of life. And every time you watch a baptism, you should hear God say, I promise to make you alive. I promise to make you new. That moves me. Now communion is not just, okay, let's go forward and have, have some cup and some bread, like cracker or whatever. No, those are, those are meant to stir my heart. We can go through those motions for the rest of our lives. Who cares? Right? God was saying, yeah, you go through the motions, but your heart's not stirred. I don't care. Don't go through the motion then. Let it stir your heart. Read great books. And I mean great books. I don't mean books. I mean great books. Okay, books that teach Biblical truth and move move your heart for the glory and greatness of God. And most of what passes for Christian books these days aren't even on the planet of what I'm talking about. Not even on the planet of what I mean. So just forget the Christian bookstore. Just forget it. Don't bother with it. You find you find gems and jellies and Christian knickknacks and who cares? I don't even care about that stuff. So give us some authors. Okay. Keller's book on prayer. Yeah, so Tim Keller is a great example. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is another great example. Tim Kels, Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon. Do you, 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 want, you, you want mine? I'll give, I'll give you my tops. Tim Edwards. You want to read Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards. You want to read John Piper, who has essentially popularized Jonathan Edwards for modern readers. He makes Jonathan Edwards real easy to understand. I read Piper. Well, actually, I read Edwards first because I was in seminary. And then found Piper saying Edward's stuff in ways that made a lot more sense to real people. Charles Spurgeon, Grant, one of the great preachers of the 19th century in London, read his sermons, read, read his stuff. He is teaching. Now, he doesn't really go like section by section through the Bible. He takes like <laughs> snippets of verses and does whole sermons on them. So I don't come at preaching that way, but that his content is so solid and he is in it to move you for the glory of Christ. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, great preacher of the 20th century. Same thing. Randy Alcorn's another great one. I mean, Alcorn, he'll mess you up if you read his stuff too much. You read Money, Possessions, and Eternity, he'll, he'll mess you up for Jesus. <laughs> I, I don't even like looking at that book on my shelf. It's so convicting. So let alone read it. I don't even want to read it again. Like, It's so challenging. It just moves me for, for Jesus. Some great biographies, right? The, the biography of... Uh, Hudson Taylor, the biography of uh, George Mueller. Right, I'm a, I'm a John Calvin fan. You know, I, I don't expect you all to go back into the history of the church. But, I mean, there, there's some great stuff out there that you can read, and it's not in your Christian bookstore. A.W. Cal- yeah. Tozer is uh, one of my top three authors of all time. And Pursuit of God is one of my top three books of all time. He wrote that yes. one night on yeah, if, I, if I had three books on a desert island, uh, one would be my Bible, one would be. Uh, pursuit of God by Tozer. And one would be whatever else I am happen to be interested in at the time. But Tozer would be in there for sure. So the the preface to The Pursuit of God will blow you away. I mean, he talks about the coldness of heart in the local church. This is in the four, late 40s. And how the church was doctrinally sound, but just sterile and cold in heart. It's like, oh man, that... That's today, except we're not doctrinally sound. We're not doctrinally sound, and we're cold in heart. And he, he just says, but there's this one cheering gleam. There, there, are, those, there, there are those few who will not, who will not accept it. And uh, just the preface of that book just moves me like crazy. Uh, so that's another great book. So read, read great books that are, teach you the glory of God. They don't teach you four steps to a happier life and three steps to tolerating your wife more and... Two Steps to Having a Little Bit More Money and Feeling Good About Jesus with it. Uh, Books that tell you about God and about His glory and His greatness and stir your heart. Uh, Use worship for that as well. Um, Worship is meant to be a response to God. I I always have worship at the end of my church services. Um, Worship is not to quiet you down for the message or give you cover to come in late. Worship is a response and you need something to respond to. So I preach first and then we worship. Worship. And worship is meant to the the words of worship are meant to move my heart towards God. And then people get around people that stir your heart for Jesus. So many of us have I, I always call them clown friends. They're just they're clowns. They're just they're they are not serving. They're not serving God's purpose in our lives in terms of moving us forward. Are we moving each other towards Christ? Well, gosh, if I if I talked about Jesus in my friendship, people might. Think weird. of I know. That's junior high taught us that. Like, So we're going we're gonna to keep it at the lowest common denominator. You know, And among men, what is the lowest common denominator for men? It's like, yeah, we're going to talk about food and sports and stuff like that. Well, who's pushing that friendship for Jesus? It better be you. Because if it's not you, it's not, I guarantee you, it's not your buddies. But if it's you, guess what? They'll follow. And if they won't, that's their problem. That's, that means they're a clown friend. <laughs> All right, so there, there are some means. Now, you'll notice, if I told you the same list, read your Bible, pray, go to church and listen to sermons, read good Christian books, worship the Lord, take communion, dump your clown friends, and have good Christian friends. That sounds like every youth group message I ever heard. It's just, I'm telling you the same things that were ever told to me. I'm just telling you for a different reason. You're not reading your Bible so that God will be happy with you this week. You're not praying so that God will bless you at the end of the week. You're not dumping your clown friends and hanging with Christian friends because that's the good Christian thing to do, right? Why are you doing it? To know and love God more. Whole different reason. Same stuff, different reason. I can read my Bible every day to make God happy and not disappoint Him, and I'm saying, forget that. You should read your Bible as often as you feel like and whenever you can and listen to it, whatever. So when I read my Bible, I open it up and I pray, God, would you help me know you more deeply in your word. Because if I know God more deeply, who he is and what he's like, I trust I will come to love him more passionately. It's the only way I can love him more passionately is to know him better. So my prayer isn't, God, please be happy with my three chapters a day. It's helped me know you more deeply. So I'm telling you the same stuff you've ever heard, right? Read your Bible, pray, go to church, hang around good people, take communion, read good books. I'm telling you for all a totally different reason. I hope that's real clear now at the end of this class. I'm telling you for heart reasons, not for checklist reasons. And let me again just remind you, your heart must be strong. He's uh, not interested in a disinterested seeing, but that our hearts would be strong for him. And that's an act and work of God. But there are some things along the way that we can participate in that God promises to use. So there are some things that you can do to stoke your heart for the Lord. All right, dig it, man. I hope this episode and this podcast is really helpful for you guys. So in a live class like this one that you just heard or like we had on Isaiah at the Hoppy Brewer, we have lots of time for questions and conversation. And if you have any questions about what I'm covering in the podcast, if I'm not being clear or you just want to talk about any of it, I'd love it if you'd email me at jeff at corelifetraining.org or you can message me at the Core Life Training Facebook page or Instagram page as well would love to hear from you guys and uh, what you're thinking about what we're doing here on the podcast. Starting in our next episode, we're gonna do a short series on core value number three, living powerfully for God's glory. Really appreciate you checking out this episode. Don't forget after the outro is the drink of choice and your metal moment. If you dig it, my name is Jeff Olson. I teach the Bible and I will check you later. All right, man, if you are sticking around after the outro for the Drink of Choice and the Metal Moment, I appreciate it. I'm glad you're here. Now, I'm recording this episode a little earlier than normal in the morning, so this week's Drink of Choice is not a beer, but a cup of coffee. It's the Michael Jackson from Cafe Delirium on 3rd and Main Street in downtown Gresham. So if you know me, you know I'm not really a coffee person, like I don't just drink black coffee or anything like that. But if you melt enough candy bars in my coffee, I'm totally good with it. And the Michael Jackson at Cafe D has just the right amount of candy in it for me. Now, why is it called the Michael Jackson, you might ask? And the answer is because it's a black and white mocha. You see what we did there? Michael Jackson, black and white. This drink is also known as the One Glove Wonder, or the Billy Jean, or the Dirty Diana, or the She's Out of My Life. If you go to downtown Gresham... If you go to Cafe Delirium, hit up my man Cody who owns the shop. He's a good friend of mine. Order the MJ and tell him the Rev sent you. And now for the metal moment, I want to bring you a new track from the new record from Year of the Cobra, one of my favorite bands out of Seattle. This week, my best friend Lenny Martin and I drove up to Chehalis, Washington to see Year of the Cobra play. Uh, the show started about 9 o'clock at night, which means the show was going to be over at about midnight because there's three bands playing and Shehalis is about an hour and a half away from where we live, which means that we weren't going to be getting home until around two in the morning. So we thought about it for a second and we sort of considered plan B, like maybe we should just hang out in town here tonight and uh, not be out quite so late. But it crossed my mind that there's going to come a day when we're going to be way too old to go to rock shows until two in the morning, right? And honestly, I don't know if they have rock shows that go until two in the morning in heaven. So I felt like we should probably do it now while we still can. So we drove up to Chehalis and historic downtown Chehalis on a Friday night at 9 p.m. You want to know what it's like? A literal freaking ghost town. Like every store was closed. There was not a car on the road. It was amazing. But just off the Main Strip and on the edge of like this industrial wasteland in Chehalis, sorry, Chehalis listeners, there's this little dive bar called McFiler's. It's tiny. But somehow they've built this little place out for live music. They got a little stage and a, a pretty good sound system. And we were so stoked that we went, man. The two opening bands were super legit, especially a band called Cavassier here from Portland, Oregon. But Year of the Cobra, ripped as usual. Their new record, Ash and Dust, just recently came out. And it's totally killer. It's amazing. All their records have been great. But as any great band does, they improve with each re- each record. And like this one is definitely a step forward. So in honor of another killer show from Year of the Cobra and an awesome new record, here's the title track, Ash and Dust, off of Year of the Cobra's killer new record called Ash and Dust. Grab your drink of choice, kick back, crank this one up, and I will check you later.